We are I. All right, one of my favorite people in the entire world, Bridget. Uh-huh. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we were just talking about the trends of the way that everything is going with this whole COVID nineteen, or do we even call it COVID nineteen anymore? Because actually, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day that if these strains of viruses have mutated so much from the original one, like why are we calling it the same thing? Is that typical? You know, because they said mm-hmm. that this new strain is mutated so far from what the original virus looks like and how it presents itself that to me, like, it just is like, why is it even the same or why is it classified as the, the same thing? So, yeah, basically, um, it's just like, why are we still calling it the same thing when it's from what I've heard or what I've read, it's mutated so much from what it originally was to what it is now. Why is it called the same thing? I don't know. I think that it's probably a scientific categorization thing. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that it's anything other than that. Mm-hmm. And perhaps at some point they might change it and just call it COVID or I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do we seeing then now like with it with it trending because like everybody was kind of initially worried that it was trending to get worse. And then very oddly seems like it trended sharply downwards. And then I also read something from the WHO that they have two more strains that they're taking a close look at right now. Uh Um, But like, is, is it odd for a one that it would trend upwards and then take such a sharp turn down or because I know this is inevitable what's going to happen is our body kind of figures out what's going on and you know builds up the proper defenses and you know we don't actually know like how long viruses are going to last but if we do know from in the past like typically we get to this point of being able to live with it in some relative harmony right I think that I I thought from the beginning that it would just mutate into something that was more routine and and more harmless um and you know it definitely seems to be on that path Mm -hmm. um there are still people that are being affected by it that need to be hospitalized and whatnot but um uh, what we're seeing like from a chinese medicine standpoint is that the newer strain tends to kind of be more of a slow burn in that it takes a little bit longer before people test positive. And also what I'm seeing in my community, because like almost a quarter of the population of my community has tested positive for COVID in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I'm observing is that there are a lot of false negatives particularly on the home tests. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for whatever reason, the timing on this one, when it's the strongest in your nasal cavity for testing, it seems to be a little bit different 
the symptoms tend to be a little bit less severe. They seem to be more short lived, but it's like a slow process. So like ordinarily when you get a cold, it'll, it kind of sucks for a day or two. And then you just sort of get on with things. This tends to be a little bit more than that. It's not just a day or two. It's like five or six or eight days um, before you start to feel like you can get on with things. So that seems to be the general consensus where I am. Um, well, and the people that and, I know that have got COVID, like it, like <clears throat> nobody that I know that's had COVID actually has been told what strain they have, which I've always found right. very odd. Um, mm. But like everybody that I know that's got COVID, say within the last maybe two or three weeks, is just like, yes, you may be at home and yes, you may be sick, but it's nowhere near like what some of the people I know that got COVID 18 months ago, 16 months ago, yeah. where like, they were like, okay, like, like, this was really terrible for like, four days. And then it was like this, I'm sick, but I can probably manage this, you know, pretty well, like at home, I just going to kind of take it easy. Um, but mm. like this, it seems like it's just at that part where like, I'm just going to stay at home and I have to take it easy. You know, I'm not going to run myself down, you know, like, yeah. I know that I need to take this time off. Like that seems kind of like the common narrative with a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but I find the two things that I find it very odd, or maybe they do this deliberately is for one, it's like, if you test positive for COVID, why isn't, if, if they're testing, like, why aren't they issuing at the same time you have like this test in your results? Because we like when I get tested for COVID, like it, it goes to Life Labs, which is like in, in, you know, British Columbia, like it's the flagship place that does all the diagnostics, you know, blood work, blah, 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 blah. Um, why wouldn't they list the strain that's on it? They I don't know if they're testing every sample. But for why the strain? But that's what I, I mean, don't know like, if it's like a random, you know, like in statistics, they're not yeah. taking every single. They're taking like a, a so many out of a grouping of so mm -hmm. many, and but, maybe but that's again, what they're doing. I don't know. But how misleading is that though? When you're talking about creating statistics over something that's so complex right now in the way it's changing our world and changing mm -hmm. our lives like you think that that would be something that would be paramount because you would want to know exactly and i know that's one thing that the cdc is you know kind of falling under a lot of <clears throat> criticism right now is their omicron projections were based on all this computer modeling not anything like actually like real-time data and they're now having to retract and they put out some press releases lately saying that you know our original modeling you know wasn't accurate you know it's not as you know um, I can't remember exactly what I said, but basically they've had to kind mm -hmm. of pull back their position on it and stuff. Um, yeah. And the other part that I find, especially now with this Omicron strain being high and they're talking about hospitalizations, is I recently found out that if you go to the hospital, whether you're there for a minute or whether you're there for a week, it falls into this fishnet category of hospitalizations because you've gone in and checked into this system. There's no differentiating how long people have stayed. So I put in a freedom of information request to Fraser Health, which is, you know, the governing body for, you know, healthcare in my region. And I said, you would obviously have this, 
these numbers to some extent, like how long people's hospital stays are. Because if throw some random number, say 50% of these people walk in the door and then they're just, they're told to turn around, go home, drink plenty of fluids, get some rest and self-isolate for five days or 10 days or seven days or whatever it is now. Like I find that to be really misleading when you're talking about how hospitalizations have exploded. Because the one thing like the ICU, like that's clear. If you, if you're in the ICU, you're just in the ICU. I don't think it doesn't matter to me. Like if you're there for a day or for a week, like that means in my mind, something bad and you've come off the rails, like you need hospitalization, but knowing how vague this hospitalization category is and how hard they pound it is like here. I feel like it's a little distorted in the numbers. And especially with the, with talking about like the active cases, you know, where the people I know out here really latch on to that. If you test positive and it's an active case, you must be really sick, but not talking about all the asymptomatic versus symptomatic cases that have tested positive. So right. it's like, this is where it's like this data manipulation thing or not yeah. being completely transparent because in BC too, there's five provinces in Canada oh. that actually released the data of saying, okay, well, here's our hospitalizations and here's vaccinated and here's unvaccinated population. And this is the one thing in Ontario that's really being hit hard right now is because like 80% of their hospitalizations are all vaccinated people not unvaccinated people. And BC used to release those statistics and now they don't. And I'm like, why? Why would you stop issuing that data unless if it wasn't in your favor? Because in November, 2020 was the last time they started publicly putting um, that data out is when it switched into that there was more people who were vaccinated in the hospitalization category than unvaccinated. And then now all of a sudden the statistic doesn't exist anymore. And I'm like, yeah. That's just a little odd, you know what I mean? It's just Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. The other thing with that is um they're changing the definition of vaccinated. Yeah. So that doesn't go back to November 2020 obviously, but no, I get what you're saying. Um Yeah. Yeah, and even like I was saying too like for the um so I've had three covid <clears throat> tests now um because mm-hmm. of traveling and like one time like I felt like not like off, but just like a little bit off. So I opted for the nasal one instead of the gargle because I'm like, if this new strain is like living in your nasal cavity, I'm like, this makes more sense to me that I would get something that would be this nasal swap just to be able to check. And so, but then the guy administering the test, he's like, he's like, well, he's like, do you sneeze when you get these? And I'm like, usually all the time. So I'm like, I'll try my best not to season it. Sometimes I can like hold it back and sometimes I can't. And I'm like, I'll let you know. But if I sneeze and I can't say anything before, I apologize. And he's like, well, actually, I just won't go in as far then. And I'm like, well, what do you mean he won't go in as far? And he's just like, well, see this Q-tip. He's like, I'm technically supposed to go the whole way. He's like, I'll just go halfway then. So then I'm like, why are we even fucking doing this anyway? You know, I'm like, it just like at that wait point. Wait a minute, I'm wait like, a minute. We have different tests. Oh. So they, when this here, when the COVID test first came out, it was like the Q-tip, you know, it felt like it was hitting your brain kind of thing. Yeah. Now they go in, it's only like three quarters to an inch. We do yeah. not have a gargle 
at all. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. that's the one I like. I, like I don't that even one know what better. that is. Tell me it's, about the gargle. Yeah, so it's this solution <laughs> that you gargle, and I, I'm, they, I think they came out with it primarily for children because it was really hard to be able to get this Q-tip like up in these kids' noses because they're giving you that the older test that goes all the way back. Yeah. And we're still doing right. But, but again, like these are the problems with all these sy- systems and stuff. Mm. Right. So, um, and like, so this is, this gargle solution has been around for, I don't know, like a year and a half that I know about for <clears> sure, <throat> because my kids have had to get it. And that's what they, cause it's easy for them to swish and gargle. Um, and I didn't know it was an option to me until I got my very first COVID test. And the lady asked me, she's like, do you want the gargle or do you want the Q-tip? And I'm like, well, I thought the gargle was only for kids. And she's like, no, adults can get it too. So I'm like, okay. And I don't know what the solution is. And it doesn't even taste that bad. It's just kind of, you know, made almost like, um, I don't know, just like a saline solution or something. And you gargle and then swish three times. I think it's for five seconds each three times. And then you spit it into this cup and then they send it off. But, and I was like, well, does it even live like in the mouth or like in the throat in that regard? Because I know like when I'm gargling stuff, I can kind of feel it like right yeah. here, but it's not like down here or anything. Right, you know? right, right. It just, so in my mind, I'm like, is this the way that you can kind of always get a negative test? You know, like whether or not you are positive or not, because it seems so superficial that, you know, that this is the way that you would issue this test because I've never heard of anything about an immense amount of the virus living in your mouth and at such a beginning point of your esophagus. Like it, I've never heard of anything like that. So unless um, you got it through your mouth and that's where it colonized mm. first or in your throat, then it's going to be up here in their nasal cavity because nine times out of 10, it's going to come in through the nose Mm -hmm. and the other routes of transmission are the eyes and the mouth. But most often, especially with people wearing masks all the time, it's going to come in through the nose, you know, because it's just most likely place to have it happen unless you mouth breathe excessively. Which is you bring up a funny subject there is because I actually um, know a lot of people who within maybe the last two, three months, who have said they feel like they mouth breathe way more now because of wearing these masks all the time um, than what they ever did before. And they've just started to kind of catch themselves like always doing because like their mouth is getting more dry because, you know, we have our heaters on Mm -hmm. here. It's winter time. And and so like they didn't really notice it before, but now that the weather's changed, they're starting to notice like how much more their mouth breathing, even though their nose and stuff, they, you know, and just anecdotally saying it's probably from wearing these masks because it's not something they've ever really recognized in the past and stuff, which it would be really interesting if that is like a conclusion of all this, because we obviously, I don't know if you're in agreement or not, but like how bad it is to mouth breathe versus mm-hmm. nasal Oh, yeah. Breathing, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Unless you're like strenuously exercising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've tried to tape my mouth shut doing that to force myself to breathe through my nose, you know, while doing cardio. And uh, it's really, really hard to be able to, like, not want to breathe through your mouth. But it's amazing how fast you can get your VO2 max to a point where, like, if you have the option of opening your mouth, 
you'll do it fairly fast. But if that option is taken away from you, you can actually train yourself through extremely strenuous, like, you know, short burst cardio. You know, you couldn't run at your max pace for an hour breathing through only your nose, I don't believe. Oh, but, you know, okay. but doing like inter- yeah. doing like intervals and stuff, uh, really high intensity intervals, you know, maybe like, you know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, like how you can really train yourself to only breathe through your mm-hmm. nose if you take away the other option. I think just the other option becomes so easy for your body to do. We just default to that really quickly. Right. Because we're trying to expend the least amount of energy as possible and Mm -hmm. get the most oxygen as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I was thinking this on my way here because somebody posted this on Twitter today about how come there's no studies being done on all these people who would seem to be like anomalies. Um, So I would (laughs) present myself to be like one of these people that. I would assume that somebody would want to do a study on me because, you know, I have a blended family. Um, There's four kids involved in that blended family. They go to three different schools. They're in tons of different activities. I travel every two weeks through two international airports. I'm involved in the fitness industry. I travel through different towns all throughout BC all the time between here and Alberta. And nobody in my immediate social circle has ever had COVID. And like my kids have had up to like 10, 12 tests because of like school and all that kind of stuff, just having to be able to go back with a negative test. Um, So like between the kids and the adults, there's probably in since COVID started and the testing started 40 tests, maybe 45, I would say between all, and nobody's ever tested positive and nobody's Mm -hmm. ever had COVID. And within our whole big social circle. So I don't like why uh, to me, like thinking about like how curious that I am, especially with things that involve biology, like I should be one of these classified super spreader people. And, but I've never had COVID myself and I've never given COVID to anybody around me, even if I was asymptomatic, like they're like none of my kids, none of the adults, none of the, you know, extended families outside of that either. Mm Mm-hmm. So, but it doesn't seem like anybody's doing any kind of research to maybe figure out like why somebody like me might be able to, and I'm not saying that I'll never get it, you know, like I very will likely get it at some point in time, but after two years of COVID and with the amount of stuff that I do, like you would think that I would have had it more than Mm -hmm. once by now. Mm. Do you find it strange that nobody's seeming to pay attention to like, why some people may be able to just live everyday life in. I think if it was something that I I think if it was something as scary as like the plague or Ebola and you were doing that, you'd yes. I think that they would be studying people that were evading it somehow, but because it's so like amorphous and vague and it's new and even the testing isn't good. Mm -hmm that it's just not on their radar to to go there right now will somebody down the line do that i would i would imagine so but i just think all the resources and attention right now are other places Mm -hmm. have you seen or come across like a lot of these um scientists and doctors really starting to come out and give like an extraordinary amount of pushback 
um, to the community in regards to like COVID-19 protocols and vaccinations and, you know, that whole narrative that's brewing pretty strong right now? So the problem here is that it's so politically charged, this public health issue, (laughs) um, that it's all about opinions and whether you're conservative or liberal or Republican or Democrat. So anybody that comes out with any information that they're trying to express it will fall into one of those two categories. And from there, they will be accepted or rejected based upon the majority in that area is what it seems like to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Half of the people who live there will accept what they're saying and half will reject it without even hearing it. So there are some people that are coming out about those things. And the... Here's the really interesting thing. The FDA has been almost since day one on anybody who claimed anything online about COVID. So like I am in some very highly respected with really um, incredibly bright practitioner groups where we've been discussing treatment protocols and um, just basically what we're seeing and how it's changing and how the treatment can change based on that. But you can't write the word COVID. Yeah. You can't write the word Omicron. You can't write the word Delta. You can't write the words, any buzzwords that you would associate with this pandemic you cannot write. So everybody's kind of writing in different, Mm -hmm. like using half a word or letters or something. And you have to kind of just, you know, flex your mind a little bit in order to follow what everyone's saying. Um, Because they've been getting flagged. Mm -hmm. And there's actually been Chinese medicine practitioners who've been shut down. Because they've said on their website that they have a treatment that can help ameliorate the effects of COVID. Like you can't say, you can't use COVID and the word treatment, even if you're not saying it cures COVID in the same sentence Mm -hmm. or else you're going to be blackballed. So there, you know, there are some people who are, um, speaking to you know a balanced approach to vaccine and treatment and 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 public health policy uh but there aren't a ton of people and i think part part of that reason is because of the that they're being what you know if that if they set out a red flag like they could lose their practice that they just built for 30 years Mm -hmm. you know what I mean so it's like um or be you know get a heavy fine or have charges I mean whatever it is that they can do um is is it's possible that you know it can happen so That's why I've been extremely careful along how I put things because 
it, from a Chinese medicine perspective, even we're, we never say, regardless of what it is that we treat an illness, because we treat the person and we treat the, the um, way that they're presenting based on yin and yang and the five elements and the pathogenic factors that can arise within the body. That's it. That's what it boils down to. And that's all, you know, all of us are trained to even put it that way. Like we don't even put a diagnosis for a Western illness on an insurance form. We put somebody as pain or they have nausea. We don't say they have, you know, X, Y, or Z spondylolisthesis or whatever it is. Um, so, so yeah, there are people that are, that are speaking to it. And then there are people that are speaking to the vaccination issue and the way it's the, the virus is being handled from a public health standpoint that are completely like off the rails too. So it's like, what would you classify as off the rails personally? Like when, when somebody talks, because like this is becoming a vastly. So it's changing. It's changing, right? We, we see that this mutation is less severe and those other variation, uh, mutations of uh, concern or however they're categorized by the WHO, hopefully those will be less severe as well. And then we'll start to see that things are trending in a way where the ICUs aren't filled and, you know, it is just a head cold eventually. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, before now it's not, it's about public health as a whole taking into account the stress and strain financial burden puts on one's public health, the stress and strain lack of connection puts on one's public health, right? So this, I feel like from an American standpoint, the CDC here has been trying to balance out, you know, the economy, the healthcare system, sustaining itself and sustaining its workers, the doctors, the nurses, sustaining their mental health, sustaining um, resources with what people are willing to put up with, what is good for people, like does the risk of getting COVID outweigh being able to see your grandkids on Christmas, you know, like all of that is taken into the equation. And so I feel like that's the, that's the right way to kind of go about it. But, but be, prior to a less severe mutation, you know, um, I, I have felt all along that this is a temporary thing and that wearing masks reduces the risk of transmission and that it's for the good of everyone as a whole to just wear masks temporarily and reduce the transmission spread for the hospitals, for, um, you know, protecting people that 
we don't have enough information about like how everyone's immune system is reacting to the vaccine, how everyone's immune system reacts to the infection, how, like, what is the profile that creates long COVID in someone's body? And how long is long COVID? Is it forever? Is it six months? You know, we don't have all of that information. So I tend to err on the side of caution in my practice with dispensing herbs, as well as with this scenario. From a public health standpoint, I feel like erring a little bit on the side of caution was the best approach. Mm-hmm. Um, is that shifting and changing now? Will the CDC just change their guidelines again here with regard to isolation versus quarantine and the amount of time? And if a kid needs to get tested to get back, go back to school, which they don't anymore, it's all going to be based upon symptoms and whether or not they had a fever in the last 24 hours. So things are shifting yet again. So it's not a static thing. It's like we've kind of had to go with the flow to some extent and dance with what's happening in the moment. Um, So I have never been one to throw all caution to the wind and say, all right, let's not. So and part of the reason for that is because I I firmly believe that I had COVID before there were tests, before it was supposed to be here. And I think I've mentioned this before. And I had been taking pristine care of myself for two or three months before that happened. No sugar, no caffeine, no alcohol, exercising, yoga, breathing, meditation, um, not overworking, sleeping well at night. I had the perfect like scenario and um, set up for myself going into it. And the, I, I think I had the Wuhan string and I got really freaking sick. And it scared me because it didn't feel like anything else I'd ever felt before. And I can easily see how somebody could go over the edge and into the ICU. And so that was where my perspective was coming from with the masking. Because when I first saw the footage on TV and when I experienced it for myself, I knew that we should be wearing masks, regardless of what any doctor said on TV or what the CDC said. My intuition and my experience as an observer of reality on this planet told me that the masking was the way to go. So I immediately started to wear a mask to work even before it was supposed to be here, even after I felt better. So that's kind of, that's where I'm coming from with it. But then you have to take into account different regions, you know, how likely people are to be exposed, how, you know, it's just, there's all things that you have to take into account. But in my area, I think that the best course of action was to never stop wearing masks So this brings me into something that I was going to bring up um, a few minutes ago, which this kind of segues perfectly. Do you think after Biden made the announcement saying that this can no longer be managed at a federal level for us to have any kind of success, this can have to be managed at a state level because so many states that have gone against 
like any kind of um, federal intervention have been producing great results because they technically, like what you said, they know their areas, they know their demographics, they know more about the population in, in those areas. Do you see that being successful? Because up here where a lot of Canadians are right now is because Justin Trudeau is still trying to micromanage this whole thing at a federal level and putting pressure on the provinces that Canadians are getting fed up because it's like we're going back into the same restrictions that we had before there was any vaccines, before kind of people were wearing masks, before there was all these things like schools are closed, restaurants are closing, this and that, and businesses are being shut down. Like, and it's just like, well, why did we do all of this? But like, again, like this is where I see like, this aesthetic problem of their this micromanagement from uh, a scale where it's like, how is even the premier of BC going to tell people what it's like in Alder Grove, that's a little bit more of a rural, small town community versus what it's going to be like downtown Vancouver, that it's heavily populated and urbanized and dense. Like those two, those two places shouldn't have the same restrictions because they're not even the, they're not the same category of people that have the same demographics. It doesn't look the same. The transmission is going to be substantially higher in places like Vancouver than it is going to be in rural communities like Alder Grove, like all of these different situations. Do you think the success lies on managing this at a smaller scale? Um, well, I suspect that part of the reason Biden said that is because he, he knows damn well Florida and Texas aren't going to do what the federal government says anyway. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we had a, from what I have been told, we had a shortage of antibody therapy here and maybe still do, I'm not sure. And my understanding, and I could be wrong, is because the need for it was so great in Texas because of their anti-masking policies that or not anti-masking policies, but just even collective anti-masking belief system um, that so much antibody therapy was needed there that the federal government had to allocate it. Like they've been stockpiling it, had to allocate it there. And then when the infection rate started to go up in New York, the allocation of that didn't shift fast enough or there wasn't enough of it left to give to people that are here and so I mean that's just one example of how everybody not being on the same page is a problem mm -hmm. for everybody else but I think that he just knows like DeSantis is not he just isn't going to manage it in the same way the federal government is suggesting it be managed so why try to push him to do it mm -hmm. it's like trying to make a two-year-old eat their peas or something mm -hmm. you know like so I think part of it part of it yes can be that you know it is a more wise decision because then grassroots public health organizations not that they're grassroots but they're on the ground in that region mm -hmm. can discern what the next best course of action is um but I think the other part of it is that he's just like, 
it's not going to make a difference anyway. So why bother? <laughs> yeah. And then like, what is it? Um, what is it like in, in your guys's area? Like what is the pulse that you guys feel for people who are, her are unvaccinated because I don't know if you guys heard or if you happen personally come across it, but our prime minister went on national TV and said, people who are unvaccinated are, are typically racists. They're misogynists. They're extremists. Um, and he doesn't know if there's a place for them in Canada anymore, um, which has been like on a global scale, the astonishment that like, you know, the it, it it's mind boggling because like to me when I heard that I'm like well I'm like I have three girls two of them are Muslim and I predominantly have worked with women for 20 years like my entire adult life in the fitness industry I have Buddhist friends you know Muslim friends I have Sikh friends I have Hindu friends I have Chinese friends I have white friends I have Russian friends like I'm like anti everything that like he labeled me as being unvaccinated, but creating that segregation of like, these are these disgusting human beings. These are these vile human beings that of course you shouldn't associate yourself with these people because these are who they are. These are these people. And it's it like, it just shows you how he thinks for the leader of a country <laughs> like Canada to go on a national, like like televised um, show in Quebec and say these things is just like, it really shows me the amount, how drunk on power he is because nobody would say something like that before. And I immediately thought if Trump was still president and he said, vaccinated people are misogynist, they're racist, they're extremists like the world would just implode. Like it would mm -hmm. literally implode as the words would be coming at his mouth. Like Twitter would just shut down. The tweets would like be like come so fast. But like when Justin Trudeau says this, it's like it's being talked about, but not to the level or the degree that it should be. Because again, for the leader of a country like Canada or the United States or like any Western like or democracy, democracy, Ties, democratized, is that even a word? Um, country to be able to create that kind of hostile segregation between different classes of people for whatever reason, especially in a situation like this when you're talking about like medical reasons, it's like, or a medical procedure and how we don't have all the information, all these different things. It's scary. Like, this is where we are in Canada right now. What is it like in the United States? Um, I think that that's pretty much sums up like the whole political politicalization of a public health issue mm -hmm. that tells you where he's at and what kind of person he is and the way he thinks um but it really has not much to do with what's actually happening mm -hmm. let me ask you a question about the allergies to these different because there's one thing in each of them, I know you can get tested for the three different ingredients people might potentially have allergies to. Um, my actual testing for these things going to an immunologist is on March 14th, I think. Uh, and I've actually 
been refused, even though I've been referred by my medical doctor to see a specialist for this testing, I've had immunologists refuse to give me the test. Like calling the phone, they're just like, no, we're not. Because again, their governing boards are putting immense, immense amount of pressure on them. We're like, they just ref- won't even do the testing. Do you think that people, the vast majority of the population would test positive that they are allergic to these because they're foreign substances being entered into the body? Why wouldn't you be, quote unquote, allergic to some extent to that? So here's the thing. I think that what most people are are um, developing an allergic response to is the actual pr- spike protein itself. Okay. I haven't heard of that side of it. I really just hear like the polyethanol glycinate, the try yeah, something, that eat or whatever. stuff's in other vaccines too. Mm-hmm. That stuff's in other vaccines too. It's, I, from what I've seen personally in the clinic, So people can have very strange things happen to them when they get COVID. And they can also have very strange things happen to them when they get the vaccine. And those very strange things tend to be the same kinds of things. And so that's why I think that people are reacting to the spike protein because that stuff's in other vaccines too. And, um, so what would be the difference between being allergic to the spike protein versus just having symptoms of the disease or the illness itself? And it, and it may not it may not be an allergy either. It may be a sensitivity. It may be that it's some sort of a trigger, uh, but not exactly the definition of an allergy, what the technical definition is. So that I don't know. Um, What's the difference between an allergic reaction and the symptoms? Well, because the, first of all, the reactions that I've seen that mimic things that can happen to some people that get COVID are vascular and nerve related and not respiratory. Mm-hmm. So this, the things that I've seen from people having the vaccine have been blood pressure issues, um, pain in the head, which is probably vascular related. Like I had to send somebody to the ER because I thought he was having a stroke due to the vaccine. Um, like numbness and tingling. Um, those are the main things. Yeah. And so it's, so you can get those with COVID, but with, if you, if you get COVID to the point where you're going to get those things, chances are you also have the respiratory stuff and you were contagious and all of that, which Mm -hmm. with the vaccine, it's just like your body like the spike protein that gets produced. This is my theory anyway, (laughs) take it or leave it. But um, the spike, and I thought a lot about it, uh, but it's not tested or proven. So (laughs) I I um, think of a ton of bro science in my mind all the time. (laughs) But I think that the spike protein is stimulating the same kind of changes 
in certain people's bodies as in the vaccine as it does in the actual infection. Mm-hmm. And so like, here's one example. I have a client who had COVID, now has long COVID, had all these like random, you know, things that people that the doctors are just saying, oh yeah, that's long COVID. We don't know what to do about it. Got the vaccine after some of those things resolved and they returned. Mm-hmm. And then she had a couple other things too that she didn't have before. So she only got one shot of the two shot series because of it. So would um, you encourage her to um, report that to bears? What would you do in a situation like that? Just like, would you consider? There's consider nowhere to, to report it in the United States, because if anything occurs outside of the first two days, at least this was the case at first, you weren't able to even input your side effect into the CDC website for the the part of the website for adverse reactions to the vaccine. After a certain time frame, your ability to be able to even report anything ran out. See, that's so wrong. This is where I get back to the manipulation of the data, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they were eliminating people's ability to give honest testimony of their experience um, because historically, if you're going to have a vaccine reaction, you have it right away. Mm-hmm. Well, but, and again, how can you apply the same principles to a, a completely new type of delivery right. system, right? Like you, you need yeah. to be able to open that door because like you can't use the same metrics and, you know, and again, like that breaks all the scientific principles that like we know of, like you can't fit science into this square box, you know, like I always look at science as being like the universe, like really science is, is infinite. And the more that you try to put science into this box is the more when you are intentionally trying to skew the data, you know, and when something like that, like they should have restrictions on it. If you're entering this entire new technology for this delivery system, you can't put it into the same boxes, like what everything else was before. I don't know if you agree with that or not. It's just my opinion and stuff, but, um, I I came across something that I found astonishing that it's legal. And um, I'm sure a lot of people heard about this because it was when Dr. Robert Malone was on, I think it was him, on Joe Rogan's podcast. I can't remember anyway, but that the information that's given for, is submitted for a peer-reviewed study by these pharmaceutical companies is only data that the pharmaceutical companies are willing to give and they don't have to, and they don't give all the data to be peer reviewed for an independent study to be formed. The drug companies give them the study that they it's basically, here's the synopsis of our study. Do you agree with this synopsis? And that becomes the peer reviewed article. Not that they've combed through all the data in the science themselves and come up with their own peer reviewed article. I finding out things like that during the course of all this is mind boggling to me that that that's how this system is run. And especially when you have had a company that's been sued multiple times and lost for manipulation of data. Like it just mind boggling. There's a lot of things we could be talking about here. (laughs) I know it's absolutely ridiculous. And I mean, that's the reason that kind of like research that's based in self-interest 
is not considered truly purely science because you have to have that objective and i think that objective perspective and and the i think that i mean first of all that shouldn't be what's happening there should be um people that don't have a self interest in the company running the research in an independent lab but and the I way they skirt that is because even when they do, but they fund it and because they fund it, they own all of the data associated with the study and then still only release the, the, the synopsis of the findings and the researchers are under NDAs. Yeah, see, that's not the standard in scientific research. The standard is to have the independent lab without the money attached to it that you get grants for the research. Mm-hmm. Um, and the and so I think that the, in this case, that the FDA is supposed to be the net that catches that and reviews the data, hopefully from a, an objective standpoint, even though the data may be getting skewed. Mm-hmm. And they don't. And like, that's what has come out now through all this is that the CD or the FDA or the CDC or anybody doesn't get unfettered access to all of the data. That's why this decision by this judge um, to release force Pfizer to be able to release all of the data. Um, and they try to fight it saying we wanted like a whatever it was, like a 57 year or 75 year ban on releasing this data. But the judge said, no, you have to do like 50 pages a month, which still equates to like 300 years because there's tens of thousands of pages that, like in this report, I guess. Um, but like they were saying that like it's, it's no, no organization outside of the company itself has complete unfettered access to every single portion and every single part of um of the study and the way they've skirted around that is because of <laughs> the trade secrets they say it's it's trade secrets within the company's company's knowledge so they can limit the amount of data that they put out there um, i don't know if you agree with that or not. it's just stuff that i've come across and it's like a lot of this um this decision with the um this judge forcing Pfizer to release these documents now like a lot of things kind of get stirred up as a part of that whether they're true or not I have absolutely no idea because the one thing I realized is that the fuckery in this whole situation (laughs) is you can't even sift yourself (laughs) through like what's real and what's not because like every single time that you think you're on some kind of avenue where you think you might be getting good information you realize then how manipulated and skewed that really is. So it's, yeah. I just like, I, and I don't know, like you're in this field and this profession way more than me. You've, you've done way more research of peer reviewed articles than me and just everything. Like, like what is your pulse with that? Like, how do you as a professional get through? Listen, all- if, if I am looking at a supplement company and that supplement company is the only one who's done research on their supplements I don't buy it. I don't prescribe it. I don't recommend it. Mm-hmm. Which seems reasonable, you know, but like what in things like this and, you know, I, I know another common narrative now is, is like everybody used to be like, 
they used to understand like that drug companies didn't have your best interests in mind, but this has completely, you know, like, like the CEO of Pfizer basically writes like how many um, booster shots people are going to get. Like he, you know, has publicly come out each time a new series of booster shots has been um, kind of, I don't know whether you call it prescribed or recommended. He's usually the first one to come out and say like, oh, there's this new strain. We're going to need another booster. And then all of a sudden, like, right, uh, right, right. there's like three or four. It's like, wh- when did we, like, who gave you the authority to even come out and make public statements? You shouldn't even be able to do that with your financial vested interest in all this saying that, oh, Omicron comes out. We're probably going to need to move to a fourth booster. It's like, yeah, I don't think how self-serving is that? And, you know, know. that they should be barred from making those kind of public statements. Right. But um, I don't know, like I like how, how do you see because of how politicized all this got, like, do you think that there is an end to this? Like no matter what life we get back to living, um, like, do you think that we walk away from all of this or do you think that this is all just kind of, here to stay like my kids aren't in school right now because our schools are closed down again oh really yeah (laughs) they're not closed here not well maybe down in albany some of them are they extended i think some of the times for people to go back to college Mm -hmm. um let me i'm gonna plug my other headset in can you hear me absolutely okay good Wow, what a um, difference that makes sound-wise going from your AirPods to uh to Is it better? It like it well, it's not necessarily better, but it's different. Like it's louder. Like I oh. can hear you better. Um, but it's not like that one was like worse than the other per se. Like they're both very audible, but it's it's noticeable the difference between them. Oh, two. interesting. Maybe I'll use these from now on. It makes sense because it's not the sound doesn't have to go through the air, it's going through the wire. Um, I mean, yeah, I think we'll eventually be over it. It'll be like anything else, you know, are people people getting, yeah, are people getting fatigued of the COVID narrative down there? Like it's absolutely. Yeah. Everyone's sick to death of it. Myself included. (laughs) We're all sick of it. It's a huge strain on your, on your, uh, stamina. Yeah. You know? But where, what is your opinion with, um, with kids and vaccines? I know that this is a mm. big hot button issue. And, and I know like what scares me with having three girls is a lot of this data that's coming out about how, um, you know, it, it potentially can affect their, their ovaries, their menstrual cycles, you know, like just, there's a, a lot of around like reproductive health and, you know, like the f- potential of having, you know, like children in the future. I don't know if you come across any of that or heard that narrative. Um, but when I hear things like that outside of everything else, like it really, really worries me. The only, the only time I actually really heard that narrative was when I had a client who came in that told me that um, China purposely infected us all because they want to, because the, they purposely infected us with COVID and wanted and gave us the vaccine because they want to sterilize us all with the vaccine and take over. <laughs> See, now that's this not is someone I'm who I would never from. have yeah. thought was like nutty at all before yeah. she said that to me. Um, so, 
It's just yeah. like up here, like in Canada, we have um, like a, an organization. I think there's over 15,000 uh, scientists, uh, research doctors, doctors that are part of it. Um, and uh, Dr. Robert Malone, the gentleman who created the mRNA technology, uh, they're kind of pioneering, you know, like this narrative. It's like yeah, how a lot of young males are getting the uh, uh, myocarditis and pericarditis, that this mm-hmm. is kind of like what's happening to females is that there's a there's an equal to that, but with them and their reproductive health um, and so what, cycles and stuff. What I'm familiar with is the vaccine itself screwing up people's menstrual cycles. Is that like, does that worry you as a, as a woman? Like it, cause it, as a man, like I don't, it's like a subject where I'm like, that's over here and I'm over here. Well, it, goes I'm back, gonna... it goes back to the same thing with the spike protein. Like some people, the immune system and the hormonal system are intimately connected and the microbiome. We know all those things are interconnected, interrelated, they affect each other. And so whatever the inflammatory response is that gets triggered in some people with the vaccine is, I mean, it makes sense that it would alter their hormones, their hormones in some way. And even like a trauma can do that, right? If like some women will miss their period, if they're really stressed out for some reason, or they had like an accident or a major life trauma. So it's like, it does that to some people somehow. Um, the people that I know who've had that happen, their bodies re-regulated in a couple of cycles. Mm-hmm. So and like, it was like- all people that, were in their thirties that I know of that this has happened with, but it was theoretically a concern when thinking about whether or not to vaccinate my child, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not so worried about it because I'm, you know, almost 50 years old. I'm not having any more kids. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was weighing the risks with the benefits when I decided to get vaccinated, but I, you know, it's a different story when you're thinking about what you're going to put in your child's body. And it's a different story for different people, right? Like this, the thing that makes me laugh is like people that are so willing to take like horse, you know, anti-parasitics and eat at McDonald's, you know, four times a week and never exercise or go outside and drink soda you know it's like people that are living a lifestyle that is completely unhealthy and filled with toxins and things that even if your body can process it at some point are going to leave residual toxins in your system that are skeptical as they are of the of an injection and it doesn't necessarily just need to be this one right it's like so People that are people who are actively seeking wellness in mind and body are going to have a different perspective and I believe a different mental and emotional clarity regarding their choices Mm -hmm. than people who are not. And 
I don't know what made me think of that. <laughs> but, well, no, but, whatever. but the only thing is, so, but like this comes back to the whole topic too, that they're saying a lot of people, the reason why their COVID symptoms may be more severe. And a lot of the people who are experiencing um, the long COVID like symptoms are people who have that are higher on the body mass index or just have a higher percentage of adipose tissue because they think that COVID is, is being stored. And that's not what I've seen. I don't know. I'm just like, like I know, again, like I these know. the things that you hear, right? I know. And, I know. And- yeah. I mean, it, it, and you know what? It's like with any statistic, there's always exceptions. And I've seen several exceptions, but um, I guess, I guess what made me think about all that is that this is a really good opportunity to examine, you know, how you live whether it's with regard to COVID or whether it's with yourself in general Mm -hmm. and, you know, what are the best choices to make for yourself and your family and not live in such a fog and not just rush around from thing to thing, but, you know, like really think about actually living. And I know that you do this, but, See, but not like everybody was, does this. I, but and like that was like my my point, you know. Like like I wish somebody would do like a study. Of like why are these people? Um, and I say that liberally because I also know like one of my best friends. You know, like you know he's really high stress. You know, he's a plant based eater. You know, he kind of gets in like so so workouts and stuff. When he got COVID, <clears throat> like a year and a half ago, he said he literally felt like he wanted to end his own life when he was laying in bed you know, for like two days, like he did, like, that was his experience with COVID. I also know one of my other good advice that I've grown my entire life up with just like pounds back a bottle of wine every day, you know, runs a huge company worth tons of money. Like it, one of the most kind of, I don't want to say unhealthy, but like, he's not in the same as my other buddies, this plant-based guy who kind of works out. And so, and, um, and he was completely fine totally fine like it was so annoying that he had to like sit at home for two weeks back then it was just like super pissed and you know like you know like I said but like for me I just wish that there was some governing body that had as much of a voice as like what our federal governments do the FDA the CDC and just say like hey like look like yes you may still end up feeling like you want to die you know, if you get COVID. However, there is still these other people. We still know that, you know, comorbidities play a huge factor, you know, in right. all of this. And this is, you know, yeah. And, you know, like for me, like, you know, what are the, some of the things that I can immediately think of? Well, you know, like I eat the only carbohydrate that I eat is honey. I eat about two tablespoons of honey a day. Um, you know, like I don't ever eat anything with sugar in it, except for like the sugars that are in the honey. I I fast at least 12 or 14 hours every day. I work out every day. The workouts change. I could be riding the bike. It could be lifting weights. It just what I move my body every day. I regularly sauna, regularly ice bath, you know, I regularly sit in the hot tub. Like I do these things like on a, on a regular basis. Now, is that the reason? I have absolutely no idea. The only thing is I know I do these things. You know, I take a vitamin D supplement, I take mm-hmm. vitamin C, you know, like I take my greens, you know, like all of this kind of stuff, it has to be playing some kind of factor in my mind. Like it has to be because I know another guy that, um, 
he got he didn't want to get his uh, two shots, but he had to because he had his surgery coming up. They wouldn't perform um, his surgery unless if he had both shots. Now, what happened was is when he got his second shot and then he went in and got his EKG done before he went under the knife is they almost canceled his surgery because they're just like, you just had a heart attack. And he's like, what do you mean I had a heart attack? He's like, I feel fine. And they're just like, no, no, no. Like, you just had a heart attack a few days ago or like whatever the time frame mm-hmm. was that they labeled it as. And, uh, but it was like at the same time he got his COVID vaccination. Mm-hmm. You know, so like in my way, it's like these things where it's like, how do you even know what's going on in your body? You know, especially when now that we know like these, there's these like heart issues, because he's a super healthy guy. So I'm like, how did you go through all that unscathed? Like this guy, works out all the time, jiu-jitsu guy, you know, like eats pretty healthy, you know, is constantly mobile, gets lots of fresh air, you know, like all of these things. It's like, but you didn't even skip a beat. And they're just telling you, you just had a heart attack. And I know that happens quite frequently where people realize they don't. They don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just like, like, these are some of the things that also run parallel with all these other narratives that are going on. And that's why it all needs, people need to be educated on all of it. Mm-hmm. And make their own choice based on that. But the knowing what we do and knowing that, yeah, comorbidities do create like a higher risk for not just this, but for everything. Um, and still like this, I guess this is the point I was trying to make about when people are so willing to not modify how they're living. And they're so willing to take like a pill, right? Because they're, they don't want to take the vaccine or they don't want to wear a mask or whatever. It's like, where is, where is, where did things go so awry that so many things in the lifestyle are that, are, are contributing to the development of comorbidities? right? What are, or chronic ailments. And people are just so willing to reach for a pill instead of actually wanting to heal. Absolutely. And this is something yeah. that I harp on to anybody who will listen and even to people who won't listen. And I'll just say it myself to some open airspace, because to me, there needs to, there needs to be a crux. And if COVID wasn't it, to get people to realize you can't keep living your life the way that you are living, because, you know, when you're 40 pounds overweight, 30 pounds away, 40, like whatever it is, you, you know, like either pre-diabetic or diabetic, you know, you want to get this shot and you still want to eat at McDonald's or KFC or all this shit regularly. Like you don't want to exercise, you drink too much, you may or may not smoke, you know, like you don't go outside and get any real fresh air or any real natural vitamin. You don't do like any of these things. But again, like, it's like, why, why do you want something that'll keep help helping you live that life? Like, you know, and like, to me, like, this is what I worry about, like with people who've gotten like this vaccine is something I don't think they ever thought of is like, yeah, you might get this, but like, there needs to be a point in time where we get like slapped in the face and saying what you're doing is wrong. What you're, you need a wake up call. Now, if people, I'm not saying that I want people to get COVID and we don't even know to the severity that they're going to get it. 
But if people get a vaccine and they can kind of coast through COVID and keep on being 30, 40 pounds overweight, you know, they can get their diabetes, they can keep going through their life. Like, like what is it that actually gets people to stop and realize like you need to be able to live a healthier life for you, not for anybody else. Never mind well, like the around here, I've seen many people that fit the high risk profile for needing to be in the hospital if you get COVID that actually don't want to be vaccinated that mm-hmm. aren't. Wow. That's interesting to me, but see, oh, yeah. the, 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 there you go. They like, see this to me is the complexity of this whole situation and why we can't have a mass governing body say, this is what's going to happen is because Every time we think like, hey, there's this category of people, it's like, hey, well, I know people who don't fit in that. Every yeah. single category. It's like there's always exceptions to the rule in all of these little different subcategories that we've created. And it's like the part to me, so like Saskatchewan is the only province in Canada where the premier came out right before Christmas, released this great two-minute clip, clip and said, hey, look, Omicron is here. Our, like, our hospital system is set up to be able to be successful. Our doctors and nurses do a great job. There's nothing we can do to avoid this. Should you make better decisions during the holiday season? Yes. Do I think you should get a you know vaccination or booster shots or anything? Yes. But at the end of the day, like he's leaving it on the people with inside of his province to make good decisions instead of trying to force them to make decisions. And that's why they've had such great success. Yes, they're a smaller population base, for sure. But the one thing that I do know about people, and I think that we can all agree, is when you give people the choice to be able to do something, and they feel empowered that they are making the ones making this choice for their own reasons, they're going to do things differently than if you're being forced to do something, even in the slightest. And this is like, you know, again, like where we see like those hyper polarizations for all like hundred different reasons that we could offer because, you know, people are just being so sick of being told what to do. I want to eat at McDonald's. Why are you telling me you can't? What do you care that I'm 30 pounds overweight? Why do you care if I have the vaccine or not? Like, why do you care if I exercise? You know, like, why do you care about all this? We're like, but there's because people can get away with all of that now. You know, but like the one thing I've realized over the course of time, especially in the fitness industry, is that eventually people start coming around. They're just like, yeah, I need to go to the gym. But if somebody tells them along the way, you should go to the gym, they're like, fuck you, I'm not going to the gym. You know, then it delays that cycle. Or it's like, you are a great example of that. You know, like in November 2012, I think preceding that, you're like, I'm going to cut out caffeine. I'm going to come cut out alcohol. You know, I'm going to live, you know, I'm going to just like clean up my lifestyle. If you had somebody telling you day after day after day that you had to do that, would you have made that same choice? Or did you get there because you're a responsible, educated adult? Right. Right. So um, if you have anything else left to, to add to that, uh, spit it out because um, I do have to, I do have to get going. I didn't realize that okay. it was 10 to 11 already. Oh my like God. The time okay, is just yeah. like going by. Yeah. I actually was like, well, we're like, what are we going to talk about for the next hour thing? Oh, like 20 so minutes into it, know, but right? yeah, the evaporation um, of time. No, I just, I, I, I just really do 
keep the good vibe going that this thing mutates into something less severe. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I wish for everyone to have a happy new year and to follow their hearts and um, that everyone's new year is filled with joy and peace and love. Find this silver lining, right? Mm, we, need, absolutely. we need it now, especially. Well, thank absolutely. you for coming on. I thank you for having your time. me. I appreciate yours too.